0: Welcome to another episode of Your Money in 20, the podcast by your friends here at Woodward Financial Advisors. I'm joined today by a regular, I'm not even going to say guest, co-host, Alex Rashani, Certified Financial Planner and Advisor here. Hi, Alex.
1: Hey, Vic. I appreciate you uh, you raising my status to co-host. Uh, we'll You're see promoted. if it sticks. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we'll see if it sticks.
0: Well, Alex, as, as we've discussed, we are here to talk about Uh, what's probably on a lot of folks' minds. So we are recording this as of the end of June, so just before the 4th of July. And we are in a bear market in stocks. So our goal is to give you just sort of more information on what's going on out there, which I know sometimes these sort of markets, especially if you're reading the headlines, can be scary. So we want to add a little perspective. Uh, But then really, we want to focus a lot of our time on what you can or maybe can't do about it. So Actions you can take during sort of market environments like the one we're in, so before I kick it to Alex to just tell us a little bit about what's going on, I'll first start with our disclaimer saying everything we're about to talk about here is just meant to be educational in nature. none of it's meant to be advice individual for your situation. So if you're looking for that advice, go to your financial advisor your tax uh, your tax accountant, your estate attorney, or whoever professionals know your personal situation. okay. Alex, what's going on out there? Just give us the high level. yeah, so we've said it many times
1: before, but you know we're in a down market. They're not all the same. You know, a backdrop to this is, of course, high inflation, rising interest rates. Uh, for a deeper dive on that, I'll, I'll go ahead and point you to episode fifteen with uh, Vic and Joe. yep, but ultimately. Uh, we are in, in the newest bear market, and what what does a bear market mean? Uh, so it's twenty percent or more down for the year. So we're um, we're right on that cusp, and you know that that's something that really grabs headlines and, and gets people's attention. But it's not really all that rare. So you know a, a drop of twenty percent or more occurs about every six years, and um, you know we've had the pleasure of going through longer than that most recently and not having this bear market experience. So it's a little fresh, a little, a little new to people um, a reminder of what, what is more typical.
0: Yeah. And I'll just, I'll just say, Alex, I saw a headline this morning saying the, it's, it, you know, the headlines are always looking for an angle. I think it said something like the worst first few months of a year in decades. Well, they're just looking at January because it's the, it happened at the beginning of a calendar year. That's pretty much meaningless in in the historical context that it happened in those particular months in a calendar, but uh, it was something snappy to put at the top of the uh, the newspaper, which is just the world we live in.
1: That's right. Yeah. Any anything to grab a reader's attention um and I I wouldn't put too much uh what is the phrase? Too much salt in that. But ultimately um yeah, we are in a bear market. There is some truth in that. And what does that mean in terms of the recovery period? You know, we don't know this time. But when we look historically on average, when you, you see a drop of twenty to forty percent, the average decline is a little bit under a year. The average time to recover is a little bit over a year. We we've seen some that are much shorter, you know, as short as 33 days, uh, and just as recently as 2020, we saw a drop in a, in a recovery. But sometimes it takes multiple years for the recovery to happen,
0: yeah. And I'll just say that they every recession, if we get one, every bear market feels a little different, and there are different reasons for it. So, I mean, you see a lot of folks likening this market to, you know, the 1980s, the 70s, because inflation is higher this time around. Uh, There's no clear, uh, therefore, it's going to be the same. Uh, Markets are highly complex, not to mention economies as a whole. So it's pretty much impossible to predict whether it's going to be a short one or a long one. Uh, It's it's just nothing that anyone knows, uh, although they'll try and claim it. Okay, so Alex, we've talked a little bit about what's going on out there, which is, I think it's fair to say, out of our control. What are, I know we talked about this in the intro, what are some things that we can do that are in our control to help sort of take advantage of some of the opportunities or just sort of cope with the realities of the bear market?
1: Yeah, it's important to focus on what's in our control. And the first thing that you're going to hear from us is always protect yourself today. And by that, we mean, keep an emergency fund. If you don't have one, build an emergency fund. You never know what's right around the corner. Um, you will eventually have an emergency, if not this year, the next year or the year years in the future. And it's really important that you have that foundation uh, in place. You also want to make sure that you're keeping track of your cash flow. So for most people, this is keeping a job or keeping your side hustle or whatever it might be that you're doing to bring cash, bring money in the door on a regular basis. You want to maintain that, right? Not every down market is coupled with a recession, but it's possible. And it certainly is something that you want to be prepared for if that is the outcome.
0: And, and what you specifically are referring to there, I think, Alex, is if you lose your job in a And an economic downturn. So, when unemployment goes up, that can create a situation where you're needing to pull from your investment assets when they're decreased in value, which is, of course, the only way that you really lose money. Um, And I'll just add one other thing to that, Alex, which is that we've been hearing this for many years because cash has had really low interest rates for a long time. But we're hearing it again, basically, sort of a reluctance to hold a lot of cash. Now, because inflation is increasing. And of course, your cash doesn't really do very much even with rising interest rates relative to sort of the levels of inflation that we're seeing. So we're sort of pushing back against that a little bit. For some folks, if you're retired and taken from your assets, this could be a year or two of your expenses. For some folks, if you're still working, it can be only you know three to six months. It's different for everyone, but it's okay if this money doesn't earn. Uh, that's the point. It's that it's there when you need it.
1: Absolutely. No, I, th- I think it's important to note this is not for performance. This is for stability. And that, yep. that's the mindset you need to have when thinking about emergency funds. Uh, another thing, the second thing really you should be looking at is reviewing the plan. If you don't have a plan, you know, work with your advisor, get a plan in place. And by plan, I mean financial plan. Make sure that you've got goals out on the horizon that you're planning for and see, does this impact me? In a negative way, potentially in a positive way, if you believe it, and, and run that plan and make sure that you're still on track. Now, this is going to differ again for people who are working and saving for retirement or saving for their goals versus someone who is living them right in retirement. Maybe they're they're pulling from their portfolio on a regular basis. For someone who's uh, much like myself, years away from retirement, this is a a painful point, right? You look at your performance and you go, you know, may, maybe I've lost a year's worth of growth, but it's 20, 30 plus years out that you'll be using this money. And history shows us that the markets will rebound. And what's quite frankly great about this for you is that as you're contributing on a regular basis, dollar cost averaging, as we call it, into the market, you're buying at a relatively lower price than it was three or six months earlier. So you're able to accumulate more shares for the same amount of dollars than you were you know, just in the recent past. Now, that doesn't translate necessarily to someone spending from the portfolio because you're taking a counter stance, right? You're spending more shares for the same amount of dollars that's coming out. And that can certainly be, be counter to your goals. So there might be some lifestyle changes that you want to consider, maybe pushing off that new car purchase, um that home reno, whatever it might be into the future years when the markets recovered.
0: Yeah, and that that would underline that just for a moment because if you find yourself in a position where you just don't have cash on hand but you need a new car or or whatever it is. Now's a good time to push off some of those big expenses if they're coming from the portfolio. If you can, don't sweat it. If you need to, you know, pay your mortgage with money that you had to sell from the portfolio, you don't have an option. So, no sense in sweating what you can't control. But it's sort of uh, if they're a discretionary type spending. It's if that big vacation or whatever it is, and you don't already have that cash available because you didn't sort of plan for the expense. Maybe think about scaling it back a little bit, and it, it may have an outsized impact on sort of your long-term plan because you were, you were able to leave some of those dollars alone to recover in the markets. That makes sense, Alex? Oh, perfect sense. And really, those are
1: all things that are in your control. There are some additional items, and we'll cover those that are in your control as well, but are things that we do for our clients regularly. One of which, and the first of which is really rebalancing. Now, what we're looking at here is not necessarily changing the plan. It's different from switching how much you're going to carry in equities because of the market, but it's kind of recentering on where we were before. So if you were, say, 50% in equities and 50% in fixed income, we're buying what has dropped in value to bring you back in line with that 50-50 split that you had. And that's just a good habit to have in any market. But certainly when you see big swings, uh, whether up or down, it's important to rebalance because it's going to bring you back in line with the plan and with the amount of risk that you were willing to take on the front end. And we're coupling that with, within taxable accounts, what's called tax lost harvesting. Now, this is basically a way to turn a bad situation into a slightly better situation by taking some of the losses, uh, investing in something that is similar, uh, and using that to basically offset other gains or to a limited amount of the income that you have that year from a tax perspective, uh, giving you some benefit from that.
0: Yeah. And, and both of these, I mean, the idea is to do it within a set of rules. So we always talk about discipline and in investing, which is Never harder than in the bottom of sort of a bear market like we're in now. Who knows if we're in the bottom or not? But it's great to say we stick to our plan and we always, you know, we don't try and time the markets. We just try to make sure we we spend time in the markets. Rebalancing is a rules-based way to basically, uh, when your portfolio has shifted, sell high and buy low, but not because you think, you know, Foreign stocks are going to be great in the next twelve months, but because that's what your you know your financial plan dictates is that that's the the target percentages that you're aiming for so it's all about rules based and of course tax loss harvesting we can always use some extra losses to offset future gains that's right, and you get to
1: carry those forward so this can benefit you for potentially years down the road um, the The next item that we really focus on for the clients that it makes sense would be what are called Roth conversions. This is essentially taking dollars that were in a pre-tax account, like your traditional IRA and moving it or converting it into a account that you're not going to pay taxes on in the future. The benefit there is that you're taking the future growth and allocating it to something that you're not going to pay taxes on. Now, when the market's down, the main benefit of this is that you're taking, effectively, more shares out for the same amount of dollars and moving it to the uh, the traditional IRA.
0: Yeah, and I'll just give an example. So when you're converting, let's say, uh, a year ago, 100 shares of a particular stock is worth $10,000. If you were to convert it a year ago, you'd have had to pay tax on $10,000 to get those shares converted. If those shares are now 20% less, you only have to pay tax on 8,000 shares and you still get all those shares, I'm sorry, $8,000 and you still get all those shares sheltered from future tax growth. So we don't always do Roth conversions exclusively in a down market. Often we're doing it for folks because their tax bracket is particularly low in a given year, but there can also be reasons where it makes sense to maybe accelerate it in a time when the markets are down. Um, So... That one's a little more nuanced, but it's also a powerful strategy for folks for for whom have the flexibility.
1: Absolutely. And and I misspoke on that too. It's from your traditional to your Roth. I think I had switched that around a moment ago.
0: Yeah, converting from traditional IRA to Roth IRA. Exactly. I mentioned something earlier too, Alex, that I thought would be that maybe worth sort of backing up to, which is this idea that. We're not trying to time the market. It's it's not market timing, it's time in the market. Uh, you'll hear a lot of folks who are saying it's a good time to put cash into the market now because it's down, which, of course, maybe that's true. Maybe it isn't true. Maybe we're still going to go down another 20%. We have no idea. But what is, what is true is that uh, when you look at returns over long periods of time, so we can look at the last... Twenty years, so I, we actually have some data that we we set aside here. So if you look at over the last ten years, if you were fully invested in the S and P five hundred, Alex, what do you think our our total return during that twenty year period annually would be? Mm, well, I, I've
1: got it in front of me, so, <laughs> <laughs> so you're I, cheating. I, I'm cheating
0: on this one. I'm going to guess about nine and a half percent. You're right, shockingly accurately. Uh, so. That's if you're fully invested for all 20 years. Now, Alex, no cheating this time. If you missed the 10 best days within that period, so the 10 best days of that entire 20-year period, what do you think the average annual return across those 20 years was after that? So it was 9.5 before.
1: You know, it, it feels like it shouldn't cost me that much to have missed a couple of days, right? What's the impact of
0: 10 days on a 20-year time period? But, well, but I, I know you're looking at it, so I'll just give you the answer. So it's 5.3%. And, and that pattern, so 5.3% average annual return over the same 20-year period just by taking out the 10 best days. And that pattern continues, by the way, if you miss the, ne- the best 20 days or 30 days. And what's the punchline here? Well, Alex, I don't know when those 10 days are going to be over the next 20 years. But I don't want to guess wrong uh, and, and miss those ten days all in the same six month period because I thought I knew what was going to happen next. So it makes a big difference just to be there when those days happen, and I, those numbers, this chart that we're looking at, really uh, illustrates it well. What else, Alex? Is there anything else that we talk about just just generally speaking when we're talking to clients right now?
1: Really, I, I think our main message is is stay the course. You know, if you if you do. None of the more complex rebalancing tax loss harvesting conversions stay in the course. you know whether that means turning off the TV and
0: mm-hmm. just
1: bearing and bearing through it or uh, you know being aware, but just kind of making sure that your portfolio is in a place where you're comfortable taking the risk, I think that's the, the, the overarching message of what we're delivering to clients
0: yeah and I would just add sort of my, my concluding thought is that we talked a lot about sort of stick with your plan. That financial plan really, I mean, in a, in the most basic sense, the the act of creating a financial plan is looking ahead at what you think your life is going to look like over the next five or ten years, sometimes even further into the future for retirement if you're if you're still accumulating. And saying, what do I want to do? What are the things that are flexible? The things that are optional, you know, the trip to you know Geneva or whatever it is. And what are the things that I have to do no matter what every year? And making sure you have sort of some flexibility and some cash buffer built in so that you don't have to sell your assets at a time like this. I think that's really the core of it. So on that note, uh, thank you, Alex. This has been really helpful. I hope it's been useful for everyone listening. Thanks. Thank you for listening to another episode of Your Money in 20, the podcast by your friends here at Woodward Financial Advisors. We hope you enjoyed it. Now, if you'd like to continue the conversation, you could find us on the web at woodwardadvisors.com and as a firm on both Facebook and LinkedIn. There's a link to those pages at the bottom of our website. You can also find us all as individuals on both Twitter and LinkedIn. Now, we love receiving listener suggested topics. So if you have a topic you'd like to hear more about, please hit the Let's Talk link at the top of our website and submit a message with podcasts in the subject line. Thanks again for listening and talk to you next time.